Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast, our poor episodes here. Um, this week, we are starting a new book, and I'm here with Liam, who has been on our poor episodes for a while now. And Shelby, unfortunately, has moved on to bigger and better things, unfortunately for us, but fortunately for her. Um, and so we have Kendra Nelson here. Ooh, ooh. She's been here before. Um, so we're excited to have her here on the Porpoiseolds. How's everybody doing? I'm doing okay. Liam, I don't believe that. that was the most like somber. You're like, you look dying. I'm okay. What? Yeah. Rip. Well, you're wearing your orca suit. So. I know. I've been at work in my work clothes all day. Is that your work clothes, the orca suit? No, 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 no. <laughs> I just took mine off. I just got into this like five minutes ago because I'm like, I'm not wearing my actual working clothes in the meeting. That's I just want to get out of them. That's fair. I feel like orca suit is where it's at. Not going to lie. Yeah. I'm How are you, Kendra? <laughs> Good. Also in my work clothes, but it's like a sweater and it snowed today. Oh my god. And our cat loved it. Your cat loved it? Yeah, he was sitting out, like, he was sitting right here at the window with the hot pad, um, just watching it snow for, like, that's so probably cute. an hour straight this morning. Oh my god, that's the purest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, he likes when things move. He loses his mind over, like, birds and other cats. Yeah. And now snow is so fascinating for him. For sure. 100%. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, we are here to discuss the new book that we're reading, which is Being Salmon, Being Human, Encountering the Wild in Us and the Us in the Wild by Martin Lee Mueller. I think that's how you say it. Um, but we are once again going to be doing two chapters a week until we finish the book. Um but what are everyone's initial thoughts? So this book, basically, it's like, it's a little bit different than the book that we read last time, because I think the book we read last time was a little more like sciencey and political, a little political. And then this is more, I would say, philosophical and getting us to question our relationship and with Salmon and go take, like, look at things a little bit more deeply than we would and kind of also take us out of the limits of like what science has put around us and get it to get us just to approach um, our relationship with them differently. But what was everybody's initial thoughts? I think the first two chapters were very interesting. I think it gives a lot of insight into, um, into the original thinking of, or just the original scientific process that we even see uh, remnants of today. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I. I really like philosophy and like reading philosophy. I read Descartes method on a discourse in like 10th grade for the first time. Um, so it's fun reading more about Descartes because I was a big Descartes person. Um, and so it feels like it's a nice fusion of my love of philosophy, like reading philosophy. I'm an English minor and the, my big focus was Shakespeare and philosophy. Um, and then science. So I'm like, it's Descartes meets fish farms currently is how okay. <laughs> I was like, 
reading it and in my little notebook I was like big heart meets fish farm equals happy Kendra <laughs> amazing I feel like that should be the title of this poor episode yeah I didn't even know that you had an English minor that's so cool I feel like I always like learn okay. new things about you all the time so interesting yeah I'm a big um, English nerd yeah amazing yeah no I definitely thought the same thing I thought that it was like really interesting he was talking about like how we've come to understand science and he had a part in there um let me find the quote here where he was talking about someone dissecting salmon let's find it oh there it is yes okay so the quote says um how do you say his name Descartes Descartes okay if you want to get really French you can like fully pronounce it with like because he's he's a French philosopher and like he studied math mostly like geometry but it's French, but you could just say Descartes. But people who are French may get we oui, oui, about it. Amazing. We <laughs> oui, oui, baguette. <laughs> um, okay, we oui, yeah, oui, yeah. The screams of an animal on the vivisection table might sound to the ears like screams of pain, but the animal is just a machine. And I think that, well, as I mentioned earlier about the 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 insight into the early process of you know of scientific of scientific study it was essentially go out and pull apart and just find out what's inside and that is something we still to uh, do today not nearly to the extent like i think some i'm trying to remember because i think some like deep sea animals are occasionally like those like jellyfish can occasionally be uh, dissected alive or something like that but still though that that basically just like pulling apart the animal to see what's inside is still relevant today and sometimes and that attitude of oh um you know don't ignore if it's like screaming or something just ignore it you know it's not a machine i think that's kind of where we've had that notion that you know we are above or we are separate and the others just are not and the others are just not capable of of what we are capable of kind of thing so just anything they make that sounds similar is just is of no importance yeah i definitely think that has been a narrative that we've heard for a while and like has is starting to change and has started to change like i definitely remember hearing that in the catholic church when i was growing up that like animals are less than us and like that we shouldn't treat them better because they're just like not the equivalent um which I always had an issue with because I always had pets who I loved and I was like but like I mean obviously you guys see how I treat peaches like obviously I'm like I don't think that so it's interesting um on page 26 there's another quote that it says the machine metaphor implied that you should not trust your senses on the basis of this distrust philosophical or philosophical authority helped industrialize a certain moral degradation the sense might be provoked a feeling of empathy with the screaming of the animal but that is not relevant and not true your experience of empathy with suffering animals is giving you an incorrect perception of reality if you wish to be a respected member of the scientific community you must actively unlearn your spontaneous experiences of empathy with all the consequences of your own actions as well as Um, as well as for the lives of those animals. Yeah, so that's kind of where that whole discouragement of, I think, anthropomorphism 
originated from because yeah. any supposed empathy that a person may have or in or suspect or suspecting of the animal feeling could yeah. supposedly lead to incorrect, you know, results and to just not buy into it or not fall into it. Yeah. I definitely think so. Um, what did you think, Kendra? Uh, I just, I felt like this was all a strong and interesting way to lay out the like human experience and empathy in science um, and bringing up like the history of that thought process like with Descartes, Galileo, um, they brought up a few other ones, but the whole um, res cognita and then res externa, which is everything in us, that's you, which is your intelligence, your creativeness, and that makes you so special and everything that's not that is just somehow lesser than or is there to serve your benefit, um, which then like, you, like how you mentioned uh, Catholicism, it gets muddled in with religion and it gets muddled into like every field basically um and then people are still like writing the ways there are still like reasons we dissect things in science like i'm pro dissection still for a lot of cases but like we definitely took it it started out way to the other end of like these things don't feel at all but now we're learning things like cephalopods mollusks even like little critters that we three years are like well they don't have pain receptors they don't feel anything um it's not to the same range as say human emotions we can get into the other camp of like how much we may over anthropomorphize certain animals but they still feel and so we have to be like cognizant of that as scientists as consumers as humans in general but i like the breaking down of it through like this historical lens of philosophy and how we kind of got there which was by these like great men air quotes um around great men because they're men who thought and had paper and pen Right. And, um, and we now, like, we saw how that worked and we're now where we are today and how that may have, like, led into the whole discussion of the, um, like, the salmon happiness thing, which is what I felt like the author got to kind of first with this salmon are happy because they have space. And it's like, well, that doesn't necessarily equate happiness because you can have all the space in the world and not have any kind of stimuli. Um, and whatnot, which I just found very, I, I like that way of starting a thought process instead of like other books I've read where it's just like, but we like salmon, look at it, it's pretty. Yeah. And making it just like yeah. today examples, whereas it's kind of like making you think about what is empathy, what is like the human experience, and why does that make us better than a fish? Yeah. Absolutely. I thought, yeah, I definitely thought the space thing was interesting too, and it made me think of like orca captivity as well um and how like people are like enclosures are big when they're really tiny but like yeah he like basically compared it to like if he was in his cubicle because they were saying that like in the space that these salmon were 90 97 of the space was open so this was like in some salmon hatchery and um so like you know they were swimming around and they had lots of space but if you think about it salmon are migratory animals and go really far distances like from the lower snake river dams out to the pacific ocean where the salish sea is and um to the orcas you know so um that much space isn't a whole lot but yeah no i think so it's like it's there's definitely a line and i don't know that we're ever gonna fully understand the range of emotions that other species feel just because 
we don't have a way of like ex, you know they don't have a way of expressing it to us but it, like in the same way that we express the depth of our emotions um but i think it's it's important to acknowledge that there are emotions there or that it is possible that maybe like I remember as a kid, my dad being like, oh, like, cause I had a bearded dragon. He was like, that bearded dragon doesn't feel anything. It has no emotions. And like, we don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that bearded dragon had any emotions or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort what of. The, with this? Uh, no, go Liam, go. no, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, it's just on that, on that topic of, yeah, it's very, it, it's, we might not fully understand the full, um, range of their emotion emotions just because we are set up to express them completely differently and that's one of the things that makes uh that can make uh people that makes uh humans at least different or unique so to say yeah is that sort of the way that we express express emotions and it's so different from the rest of the of the life that exists that it's just yeah it is as you were saying it's sort of difficult for us to truly grasp the range like we know there's they know we know there's feelings but to what extent we might never fully understand yeah i think so and i think it's just like it's important to know that and obviously like you know like i kind of feel the same way that kendra does like there's a lot of people that are just like so anti like animal testing or like other things and there's just like certain studies that like in order to find information that will ultimately have a long-term benefit there are some individual animals that do need to suffer but also like that being said like it's no longer considered scientific to just like find an animal off the street and like pick it apart and be like what's inside of this you know like you have to be a little bit more careful about the way that you do it I also like the quote on page 28 that says, as Neil Everton has pointed out, our freedom lies not primarily in our actions within a story, but rather in the choosings of our story. So basically it's like the way that we see things and the way that we choose to see things. And I think it's always important to be like questioning, obviously, like you don't want to like, like there is that line, I think the line sometimes between philosophy and science is like too hard because I feel like if you even suggest something that like can't be scientifically tested, then scientific people will be like, you're a joke, you know? Um, But I think that as like scientifically minded people, you should want to question things. And even if you can't answer it, it's not like unscientific or illogical to have that thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So because they're both based in the the, philo- the philosophies and the sciences it's still based on the same sort of idea of questioning it's just the approach of doing it is is what makes it makes them different i think an interest uh, a way that they can be fused is language so the reason humans are such successful animals is because we began to speak and we have language with each other and that allowed us to progress in ways where we didn't have to rely on instinct anymore because we could speak and remember and pass things on. Yeah. But we look at animals that are more vocal, like gibbons are one, it's a type of monkey. Um, and then cetaceans, for example, if we could understand their language, yes. like what would that do? And it's very philosophical, I think, to be like, what are they saying? Why do I care about what they're saying? Why should right. we care about what they're saying? Yeah. And we're learning there might be ways that we can start to figure that out. 
and that they can maybe figure us out. I mean, there was this study in France like four years ago with Wiki, one of the killer whales at their park that could start mimicking human speech and saying hello. Um, Doesn't mean she knows what it means, but like mimicking is a huge thing. Like with parrots, I work with parrots. Mimicking, like their interesting abilities to like, I think the study of killer whale language, if we're tying it back. Um, that's like a fun little fusion of science and philosophy in my opinion. Yeah, no, I would say so. And I know like prairie dogs, they've broken that down and like learned what different prairie dogs can say. And like, we do see that like, you know, the orcas have different clicks and whistles and whatnot amongst the Yeah, I mean, there's what like the S4 call, I think is what it is that has been recorded in populations all around the world. Yeah. Whereas previously we just thought it was like, oh, they all are completely different dialects, but it seems like there may be some calls that are universal. Yeah. And this is yeah. one. We've heard it many places. And it's like they kind of say it sounds like laughter, which sounds so creepy to me. <laughs> Anything that sounds like laughter, it's not people, it tends to be creepy because like horror films. But like that's interesting too. So it's possible. Yeah. So it's like it's possible that that the light that like language as with us with the orca it's i guess the bush is the best way to put it is sort of where you have these very thin and few links that sort of like connect at least some of the languages together not enough for them to like directly uh, speak to each other but something something along the lines of some root dialect that yeah you know, it kind of reminds me of like the facial expressions. There are like five facial reactions that humans have in many different countries or like languages right. that are similar that even though we can't communicate, we don't know what you're saying. A lot of times we can pick up on emotion just because yeah, facial. That's why I think I, I read like a, like, like a study about that when I took psych classes. Yeah. So that's that how u- I kind of think of this call. Yeah. That yeah. universal connection. Yeah. Between mm-hmm. those different languages that's like at least part of the bridge yeah absolutely yeah so I think this definitely I mean I think it's so important to talk about these things and like not necessarily like have a sense of like shame or other I don't know weird emotions (laughs) when it comes to talking about emotions or empathy or things like that like they are important discussions to have and like you know, we don't necessarily need to listen to the in quotations, great men that are it's typically just like white dudes who are out here who had a pen and paper and money. Yeah. Have just had, yeah. Paper and money. <laughs> and then a need to destroy something, you know, it doesn't to- like devalue. Like I love reading philosophy. I love Socrates. I yeah. love like reading yes. it. But yeah, like when of. you think about it, what about what if women had the same ability? That's like mine. Yeah. It's so trippy there. reading that because it's just all this yeah you just kind of like philosophy at that time you know in the put in that renaissance era just this whole new way of thinking about things and you know very quickly as as is highlighted in this book the catholic church like became irrelevant with it well not necessarily irrelevant but its teachings were less like accepted in a way where so it and all so you have this whole new flood of knowledge just come into all these people's like minds like for you know after hundreds of years of just following a similar way of thinking about things and so people just kind of it's understandable why people just wanted to expand on that as much as possible you know and not let 
you know, not letting anything maybe get in the way because they probably felt like that they were constrained for so long. And so with all this knowledge, just like, you know, go out and expand upon it because this is like the time for us to evolve, so to speak. For sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it's like, again, I'm excited to kind of, I think we're in an interesting point in history where we're seeing like potentially a lot of change, hopefully some like changes in the way that we think about animals. Um, And I'm like curious to see the role that that plays in conservation going forward. I think a lot of people don't want to empathize with animals because then it makes it hard. And then you have to like, think about where your actions wrong and like, do we now have to change that? Um, So yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, But I'm excited for the rest of this book. Do you guys have any final thoughts on these topics or these first two chapters? Not really. I mean, I, I, I think it's a great, like I said at the beginning, I think it's a great insight to, uh, for someone wondering how sort of the scientific process and at least the, the, the genesis of modern human thinking, so to speak, began. These two yeah. chapters are kind of a good way to introduce people to that, or at least the genesis of thinking in, yes. in Europe at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like the, um, the, the way I feel like we're going to get into um, what makes, not happiness, but just like the life experience. So the, the bit where it talks about the salmon farming and I read um, uh, Alexandra Morton's book about salmon farming, yeah. which is very much more a analytical science-y aspect and then her personal experience living around them and seeing the impact. But um, on like page 23 and 24, uh, they have this excerpt from a a journalist that's talking about how salmon are blinded upon impact or contact with salt water, like juvenile salmon, not yeah. adult salmon. And yeah. things like salmon farms are taking away not the culture of salmon, because then we I don't want to get into the whole what is culture. But I'm gonna say culture of salmon and just take that like their life experience of going up a river, living in freshwater, coming back into that and how salmon farms like strip that away. Yeah. The interesting bit about the Chinook gene was very yeah. interesting this like they triggered this gene in Atlantic salmon that's in Chinook salmon right but they talk about in this what is happiness these are happy fish or whatever it was right and they they said they choose animals that thrive in confinement the faster the animal grows in captivity they say the clearer it proves to be a happy animal the happier it is is the more profit we make incidentally the circular logic also means salmon happiness can directly be equated with biomass which I just feel like that excerpt was a big reason why when we don't have empathy or we don't have, not even empathy, but just acknowledging that an animal is an animal that has a complex life cycle, that when we don't respect that or adhere to that, things might go awry, like we've seen with salmon farming. Yeah. Um, And then just equating that their value to us is their happiness, which is not what it is. Yeah. How many yeah. salmon we can grow is not how happy a salmon is. Yeah, this is true. Yes. Yeah. Especially like in like a big salmon is a happy salmon. In the wild, a big salmon is a successful salmon that survived. When right. you're triggering, when you're genetically modifying, that doesn't equate the same way. If that's like this weird analogy that the salmon farms were trying to bring in was. Yeah. Big yeah. Salmon the ha- yeah. The, the happiest salmon is the one that that is able to 
is the one is the one that is able to uh, make bring in the most mo- amount of money, basically. In their eyes, yeah. In their well, yeah, that's what I meant. In their in their eyes, it's the happy salmon is the one that can make the most revenue. Absolutely, yeah. Um, absolutely, it's. I feel like that's so interesting because I feel like it's like I that makes me think of like different working conditions and people are like, Oh no, they're like happy to work here. And it's just like, it's a, it's an idea that kind of transcends into a lot of um, areas, you know? Yeah. I mean, you brought up like the captivity issue, but it could be related to humans, like in a, in an office, they have their own cubicle, like happy things don't always mean the same. Like it's also just the whole animal happy argument, which is happy is such a vague yet specific term to give an animal when we only know what happiness looks like for our individual person or like yes accepted there's a whole thing about the whole what are animals emotions are they the same yeah in some animals like happy may honestly not exist or it may (sighs) with some species. i don't know there's a lot to be said about the anthropomorphism if when we overdo it versus when we underdo it yeah um especially regarding like highly sympathetic charismatic creatures absolutely yeah also yeah it was just funny hearing a salmon farm being like they're happy they're so happy they're so they're so they're so happy i think it's i think yeah i think the the attitude of uh of if someone's doing the labor then that honest that that you know that must mean that they're happy right kind of yeah mindset almost but it's funny when it's a fish that doesn't have the option, like it's different than a human that's yeah, putting yeah, themselves yeah. in the work cubicle to make money and live versus the fish that's been spawned by the hand of a human and yeah. thrown into a Spawned by the hand of the human. And genetically modified to grow very big and be, and oftentimes they are, they don't look the best. I think they yeah. talked a bit about the yeah. like issues of the salmon, like inbreeding and definitely. The oh yeah, that's right. Critters. Yeah, they brought up the inbreeding. Yeah. Which I didn't even know about. I didn't know about the inbreeding. I knew about some of the that's like, pretty normal with like any kind of genetic like just crop that we have. Even like our um not trees, what am I thinking of like grains? Mm-hmm. They're yeah, not yeah, inbred, well, but they're so genetically similar that say if there was ever a like a disease that hit that grain strain, like genetic strain, yeah. Pretty much yeah, all they like pretty a lot much of our all, grain would get knocked Yeah, they die pretty quickly. But yeah, that's yeah. So with the yeah, the grain. Yeah, that sort of that plant. So that's the issue when we like mass farm. Yeah, you got to do it quickly, and so these things like inbreeding and picking for these same genetics over and over keep happening because that's more efficient. Quote, yeah, timely than the natural work of getting a big salmon to grow that yes. big. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, if you know, since these people are doing things for a market that expects something like that to be on demand, then. You, yeah in the businessman you know the business person's eyes they don't yes you know they don't see the natural order as well they don't see the natural way of doing things as you know fast enough or yes you know or profitable enough so they yeah so that's why they take those liberties of okay genetically modify this you know even if even if this stuff even if this stuff happens you know in breeding or whether for you know, if, as long as the numbers are high, then, you know, it supposedly doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, I mean, not definitely. I agree. Like, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I'm not saying that we should. Yeah, let's definitely do this. <laughs> but that's let's do it. Let's, that's I like salmon. Yeah. I like salmon. I think it's just like, yeah, we just have to like continue to kind of question and like push for a different narrative because like that one quote said basically like the power is in what you decide the story is rather than letting the story have the power over you so I thought that that was a good quote um and I think that that's a good way to wrap this up and I'm excited for the rest of this book and I highly encourage all of our listeners to go pick up a copy of it and read it um because I've read this book. I think I read half of it a while ago. And then I, I have this thing where I kind of get distracted and bounce from like book to book and then like forget and stuff. Um, but I remember like the first time that I was reading it, I was like really, really impressed. And like, it really um, was like an eye opening book, but also just like refreshing perspective that we don't always get. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. I definitely appreciate it. We're super stoked to have Kendra here for the rest of this book. Um, So thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Can we say goodbye? Yes. All right. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye.